Good morning, C3. Thanks for joining us. I'm Zach. I'm Amy. I'm Dalton. I'm Heidi. I miss seeing everybody. I miss the donuts. We hope you enjoy the service. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. I will see you in worship in just a second.
call to worship today. I did it a couple of weeks ago and encouraged you then to read Isaiah 60. Because of the time constraints, I can't read you the whole chapter, but I want to read you the first three verses today. It's a great encouragement to me, and in the times we're in, I think it will be for you too. Um, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for the, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over all the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Um, I just That's a great encouragement to me, and the, how the Lord delivers his people. And I just encourage you to read the whole chapter, and praise him, and worship him, and everyone have a great week. Thank you. Hey, good morning again. Welcome to Christ Community Church. We're so glad you guys have joined us for our online service. Uh, thanks, Bethany, for uh, the awesome music this morning, and uh, thank you, Michael Shower, for the call to worship. Uh, you guys go ahead and gather around. We're going to sing uh, 10,000 Reasons. Uh, we encourage you guys to sing along and worship with us this morning. up it's a new day Tony it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, worship Your holy name. Your in love and you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, worship Your holy name. on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come 
Christ Community Church. We're going to start this morning with a little bit of a quiz, a rhetorical question at least, and that is this. What do these, I'm going to give you a list of movies and series. What do these movies and series have in common? Okay, so think about that as we open up today, and if you've got someone in your house with you, that you're watching with, maybe you can, can ask them, what do you think this, these movies and series have in common? Okay, so uh, it's a short list. Movies like Fargo, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Ozark, The Irishman, basically any mafia movie. Hmm. What do those movies and series have in common? And I'm going to give you a hint. And the hint is actually a much older story that comes from Shakespeare. It's the story of Macbeth. Do you remember that from your high school English mm -hmm. maybe or freshman <laughs> Freshman uh, comp class <clears throat> or lit, lit class. Macbeth was a loyal guy. It's set in Scotland, and he came back from a war with his best friend, Banquo. And those guys had helped to win the war. And they were like, they were thanes, but it was like they were earls. So they were, they were noblemen, but certainly not the king or anything like that. And they were loyal to the king. They had won the war for him. But on their coming back, Macbeth and Banquo met these three weird sisters, they were like sorceresses. And they said to Macbeth, they gave him the idea that if he took matters into his own hands, he could be king. Well, it wasn't Macbeth's place to be king. There already was a king, and the king had two sons. And of course, um, by, because of the law of primogenitor, Macbeth wasn't in line to be king, so it wasn't his to be. So they offered him something that wasn't his to have. Well, that business got going in his head, and he went home and made a plan with his wife to become king anyway, to take what it was that he wanted. Um, so by the end, and, and that's what he did. That's what the play is about. So by the end, so they did that. They killed the king. They killed a lot of people. <laughs> and by the end of the play, this is what Macbeth says. Macbeth says this. 
he's offered the idea, he thinks the idea, maybe I can turn back. Maybe I haven't gone too far. And he says this, I am in blood stepped in so far, should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as go or. So he's saying that I'm, I'm, I've gone this far in the killing and the bloodshed to become what I, what I want to be, to take what I want, that it's harder to turn around and go backwards than to just keep going forward. So I'm just going to keep going forward. Strange things I have in head that will to hand, which must be acted ere they may be scanned. I've got things in my head that I'm going to bring to my hands. That is what I'm going to do. So that's the story of Macbeth. And in the end, of course, he destroys not only everybody else, but his own family and himself. So that's a big hint as to what those <laughs> movies have in common. And that's what Larry will be talking about today. So, Len? Thank you, so You're welcome. Good morning. It's great to be with y'all. I hope you're doing well. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, I wish you'd turn to Luke 24. And uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, early Sunday morning uh, on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, he was crucified two days earlier on Friday and was placed in a tomb that afternoon, Friday afternoon. And he stayed in that tomb Friday afternoon and night, all day Saturday, and uh, part of su early Sunday morning. And then uh, the Bible declares that he resurrected. And we're going to read a little bit of this uh, uh, account from Luke 24. Um, everyone uh, has been, throughout those three days, Friday, Saturday, and early Sunday morning, they've been hiding, they've been mourning, they've been in shock, all the disciples, all the followers and friends of Jesus. And they can't believe that the person that they had uh, put their faith in as the Messiah, the one that was going to um, make things right, and bring God's kingdom uh, into reality upon the earth and was going to bless them with favor and with honor and with life, um, he's been killed. And they're, they've seen it, so they're convinced of it. And uh, they're all hiding. Uh, and we pick up in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 24 of Luke uh, with some ladies who have been, according to Luke, have been following Jesus throughout the his entire three and a half year ministry, uh, they're 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 very close friends of Jesus's, and here's what here's where we pick up on Luke twenty four one. It says, early Sunday morning, the women, some followers of Jesus, went to the tomb, taking spices, um, spices being myrrh and aloes, is what they would have taken to anoint Jesus's body, taking spices that they had prepared. And then we know that uh, on Friday, um, a couple of men uh, had, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken Jesus' body from the cross and they had anointed it with spices and wrapped it in cloth and placed it in this tomb. Um, but clearly they did not finish the job. There was still some... Uh, body preparation that needed to be done that these ladies were coming uh, to finish. And so uh, they found the stone rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find Jesus' body. And as they stood there puzzled, two men appeared 
clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And the two men, or the men asked, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Very significant question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified. But he would rise again on the third day. They remembered his words and they rushed back to tell his disciples what had happened. It was the, the women now. Luke is going to tell us who they are. The women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who went and told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded crazy to them, and the men did not believe it. I've just been thinking the last month or so about the, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit today about this account in Luke um, of Jesus' resurrection. You know, in those few verses that I read, you know, what is it that Luke is trying to emphasize? What is it that he's trying to stress that he wants us to take away from this account of the resurrection of our Savior? Well, there's a lot of things that we could focus on, and I just wanted to mention four as we begin First thing that clearly Luke wants us to to realize is that no one stole the body of Jesus. Uh, If you read this story, it's very important to Luke that we see that the the very men that would have plotted and schemed uh, to to, to take the body and create this this ruse uh, and deceive the world, these are the very men that are hiding they're dazed, they're dismayed, they're discouraged, they're depressed. Um, they're, they're not planning something. Um, they're convinced that the person that they had put their hope and trust and faith in is dead. And so they're not involved in some kind of a scheme or a conspiracy or a hoax um, uh, to, to steal the body of Jesus. Second of all, I think it's very important to see that Luke wants us to grasp God's value and God's perspective on the role of women in the early church. Uh, In a world where women were minimized and despised and disrespected and devalued, in this most important of all stories in the Bible, women are preeminent. They're the ones that... they're. It's their lives and their activities and choices that run through the resurrection story. They're the first people that come to the empty tomb. Women. Women are the first people that Jesus appears to after the resurrection. And women are the very first missionaries, the very first preachers, the very first ones after the resurrection of Jesus who go and declare to other people, the apostles to begin with, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Third thing that I think is very important for us to see, if you read the rest of uh, Luke 24 and you read this same story in Matthew and Mark and John, one of the things that stands out is who is pursuing who. In every account 
after the resurrection, you see Jesus pursuing people. People aren't pursuing Jesus. Peter's not pursuing Jesus. Jesus is pursuing Peter. John and James are not pursuing Jesus. Jesus is pursuing them. Thomas is not pursuing Jesus. Jesus is pursuing him. These ladies, they're going to give Jesus honor by preparing his body for burial. But they're not looking for Jesus. They're not pursuing Jesus, looking for life uh, and truth and wisdom from Jesus. It's over. Jesus is the one in every situation who is pursuing people. And that's the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve weren't pursuing God. God came looking for them. The same is true with Abraham, Moses, Ruth, the people of Nineveh, Gomer, the Samaritan lady, the, the lady at the well. In every situation, people are not in the Bible looking for God, looking for Jesus, looking for eternal life. God is pursuing them. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We're not looking for God, folks. God's looking for us. And He is continually pursuing us with all of the resources at His disposal. And that gives me great hope, great peace to know that the God of the universe is pursuing me, wants a relationship with me, calling out to me, waiting on me. I'm not waiting on God. God's waiting on me to turn to Him. The, uh, the last thing that I would mention here in this chapter, is just, um, I want to look at that, that little phrase, that question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Um, it's important to those angels that these ladies understand that Jesus is living. And he's not just living, he's the source of life. The early church, after the resurrection, finally understood, finally grasped the message that Jesus had been declaring all along. And that was that He was the author of life, the Lord of life, the means of life, the source of life. He was the one that was bringing to mankind true, real, and abundant life. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just a wise teacher. Jesus wasn't just a relational coach. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just someone that was raising the bar, raising the moral standard of how humanity ought to live and treat one another. If that's what you believe of Jesus, please don't. I would rather you, and I believe Jesus, would rather you see him in a negative light than to see him from the perspective that he was just a good, wise, moral, do-gooding, uh, bar-raising prophet. That's not who Jesus was. He was the person, the one who left heaven and he brought to mankind eternal and abundant life. Listen to what he says in John 3. Jesus says, all who believe in the Son have eternal life. And all who reject the Son will not see life. He says again in John 6, Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. All who eat of the bread that I provide will live forever. Anyone who believes in me has 
eternal life. In John 10, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that people may have life. John 14, Jesus continues, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' continual message for three and a half years was, I am bringing to people who are dead in their souls, their minds, and their hearts. I'm bringing you eternal life. That's why I've come. And the very uh, the, 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 the key players, the people closest to Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, they got this. They finally got it. In Acts 3, Peter says to uh, the, 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 the Jewish uh, population, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Um, uh, Paul said in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then John says in 1 John 5, this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Jesus came to bring life to those who recognize they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are dead in their ability to have relationships that flourish and that are all that they ought to be. Jesus came to bring life to those who recognize that they are dead. That's why Jesus came. And the, that was His message. And that is the message that the early church finally got and proclaimed. Now, as we end today, I just want to take a few minutes and take this question that the angels asked these ladies. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I want us to think about it just from a personal perspective, a practical perspective. I think it's significant for us to see it in the light of what was going on. Here are some ladies who had come to a place of death looking for life. Ladies had come to a place of death looking for life. And they left there disappointed, discouraged, and dissatisfied. I find that to be an amazing question for me to personally ask myself. Why are you looking for life in a place of death? We see it logically that you don't go to places of death to try to find life. And yet, that's really the story of the Bible, is it not? People who look to places and things of death trying to find life. Let me give you some examples. Lot went to Sodom looking for life. He didn't find it. Abraham went to Egypt and to a lady named Hagar looking for life, but he found death. Jacob thought, I can experience life. Here's a man, my uncle Laban, who's robbing me of life, keeping me from life. I know I'll use deception and trickery. I'll one-up him. I'll beat him in his own game. And through those attempts, I'll find life. But he did not. Joseph's brothers 
They had a real family problem, a real family conflict. Their dad favored one of the brothers over the others, and that's wrong. But rather than handling that wisely and effectively, the brothers thought, we'll get rid of this person, this family member who is causing us pain, that's robbing us of life. We'll get rid of him. We'll use death to find life. And it didn't work. Miriam and Aaron felt like Moses had married the wrong person. And it created a real family uh, riff. And uh, rather than going and dealing with that in their relationship with Moses in life-giving ways, they decided to use slander, to malign, to rebel, to divide, to attack, trying to use means of death to experience and find life. But it did not work. Achan thought, I can find life by stealing money from Jericho. (laughs) But he found death. uh, Samson thought he could find life in a relationship with Delilah. But he found death. Michael, one of David's wives, saw David behaving in a way that she passionately disagreed with, that embarrassed her. Rather than going to him and having a reasonable, kind, respectful conversation and discussing the issue, she thought public scorn and ridicule and shame, things that are a part of death, that she could use those death techniques to create life in a relationship with her husband. It didn't work. David thought he could find life in an affair with Bathsheba, but he experienced death instead. The prodigal son didn't like living in relationship with his dad. Rather than going to his dad and working out a a plan in their family where they could both live happily and accept the, the atmosphere and rules of the home, the prodigal son said, I know what will give me life. I know where I'll find life. I'll run away. I'll end the relationship and run away to a distant land. But in the distant land, the prodigal son did not find life. The older brother, his brother, the prodigal's brother, he had a real problem with unforgiveness, with holding grudges, with wanting revenge against his brother because of the wrong that his brother had done. But rather than looking to means of life, life-giving techniques and tools in the relationship and the family, he decided to isolate himself, to withdraw, to write his brother off. And in the process, he missed out on the life of the party. I could go on and on and on with biblical examples. It's always the same result when people turn to death trying to find life. They always leave disappointed, discouraged, and dissatisfied. I believe it's the main point of the Ten Commandments. God said, don't do these things. They will, they're means that you're going to try to use to experience life. But they're death ways, lying, adultery, murder, idolatry. These are, th- these are death tools. Don't turn to them trying to find life. They won't work. The book of Proverbs is nothing more than 31 chapters written by the wisest man that ever lived. And chapter after chapter after chapter declares, don't use death means 
to try to find life. You never will. That's why the Bible says that we shouldn't worship idols. Don't look to gods of stone and wood trying to find life. They're dead. And where there's death, you'll never find life. You'll always be left disappointed, discouraged, and dissatisfied. That's that's why the psalmist in Psalm 135 says the idols of the nations are made of silver and gold and they're shaped by human hands with mouths that cannot speak and eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear and lungs that cannot breathe and all who make them and all who trust in them will wind up just like them, dead. We cannot look to death things as a means and a source of finding life. How disappointing, how discouraging, how dissatisfying to try to seek life where there is only death. Death places, death things, death activities. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, letting your sinful nature control your mind always leads to death. He says a little later, if you live by your sinful nature, you will experience death. And yet personally, how many times do I continually try to convince myself that I'm the exception? That rule does not apply to me. I can turn to death activities, death things, death places, and I'll find life there. But just like the ladies at the tomb, when I go to death places, all I'm going to find is death. I will never find life there. And just like those ladies, I will leave disappointed, discouraged, and dissatisfied. Sherry mentioned all those movies. Hollywood gets it. They might not admit it, but they get it. That's why every year they produce dozens and dozens of movies that all proclaim the same thing. That when you look to death ways and things and places to try to find life, all you will ever find ultimately is more death. And Shakespeare said it before (laughs) that. And Homer said it before that. Yes, that's exactly right. They all understood that. Yes, thank you. Uh, In Proverbs 14, Solomon says, There is a way that is appointed for every person that seems right, but in the end... It leads to death. And when I try to look to death places, death things, death activities and behaviors to try to change people, make them more life-giving to me, when I try to change my circumstances into better, more life-giving places, when I try to change my, change my circumstances, when I try to fill the voids in my life where I feel like I'm dead inside, when I try to change people, fill voids, improve my circumstances using death ways and places and things, ultimately, they will not work and I am left disappointed discouraged, and dissatisfied. Let me give you something in closing. Let me just give you a few examples. I would just challenge us to consider the foolishness, the futility 
of using death words. My wife and I, when we got married, um, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of death words spoken. And um, very quickly after we were married, I began to, you know, you, you bring into your new home the, what you grew up with. And um, I did a lot of damage in our marriage and in our family using death words, trying to make things better. But it doesn't work. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs, I think it's um, Proverbs, I think it's either 12 or 18. In both of those chapters, Solomon basically says the same thing. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I'm either going to speak life words, or I'm going to speak death words. And then in the other chapter, it says that the words of a fool are like the thrust of a sword. Death, death. When I speak words that are hurtful, mean, nagging, disrespectful, when I bring up the past, when I speak words that are condescending, when I compare my, my uh, mate or my children to others, anytime I'm speaking words of death, my ultimate motive is I'm trying to change them. I'm trying to change our family. I'm trying to make it more full of life. But it ne speaking death words never creates life. Anger. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Getting angry, thinking that, that, oh, that will produce life. It won't. Being unforgiving, holding grudges, taking revenge. Those are death things. They will not ever create life in my, in, in my heart or in my relationships. Using lying, deceit, and dishonesty versus speaking the truth in love. Anytime I lie, trying to avoid consequences, trying to make things different, I'm using death trying to create life. Being stingy, are greedy, not helping those that are in need, putting my financial blessings and security and happiness before the needs of those that are hurting and lacking. I'm using death trying to create life and it will not work. Stealing. Oh my goodness. Taking that which does not belong to me trying to experience life. Just like Achan, it will always end the same. And the tragedy is with all of these, but I'm thinking of stealing. It's what Sherry mentioned at the beginning. Anytime that I try to use death to find and create and experience life, not only do I experience death, but I bring death upon those around me as well. Complaining, being negative, fault-finding versus being grateful and appreciative and finding the good. Gossip, slander, criticism, and prejudice. Anytime that I think that I can raise my situation by lowering others. It will never produce life. I'm using death, trying to create life, and it will not happen. In my marriage, in your marriage, 
We will never create life in our marital situations and relationships by using things that are of death, affairs, pornography, putting our children and our parents and our jobs and our friends before our mate. Anytime that I turn to death, thinking that it will create life, the Bible declares that it will not. Trying to create fake and temporary peace versus medications and sedation, drugs, distractions, busyness. All I'm doing is creating an illusion. In Jeremiah 6, the prophet says, we talk about peace, peace, when there is no peace. Rather than dealing with the reality of what's going on in my life. That, that creates life to deal with the real issues in my life that are robbing me. Versus creating these illusions, these temporary fixes. We turn to the things of death trying to find life. And the testimony in the scripture is consistent and clear. When we turn to death, trying to find life, when we turn to the, to the things of the death, trying to find the living, we're going to ultimately and always be left disappointed, discouraged, and dissatisfied. I want us to end today by taking the Lord's Supper. If you are prepared to join us in that, if you're prepared to uh, uh, take some wine or juice, and some bread or crackers, then I want you to, to join us in this, please. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I think that's Romans 6, excuse me. Um, nonetheless, uh, we eat bread, which represents the body of Jesus, and we drink wine, which represents His blood, because we, are, because we believe and we declare that Jesus died. He died for our sins so that we could experience eternal life. And if that's your belief, if that's your hope, if you put your trust in the Son of God and what He did on the cross and the fact that He rose again three days later, if that is your faith, if that is your belief, then I want you to take wine and bread and you join us, please. Sherry? And I want to end today by just uh, asking you to join me. Um, uh, part of our church family, Randy Timms, has a brother. And his brother passed away a couple of days ago. And I want you just to pray for him and his family um, that God's grace would be real and powerful in his life. So please join me. Father God, we want to pray right now for Randy and his family. We're sad and sorry that they are going through such a, a terrible time of darkness and loss. We pray that your light and your love and your peace would shine upon them and fill their hearts and that they would be very aware that you love them, that you love their son and brother and dad, and we pray, God, that you would just bless that family and help them through this difficult time. Please fill their minds with wonderful memories. 
of times past with their son, with their brother, with their dad. And uh, help that family, bless that family, I pray. And I leave you today with a blessing from Ephesians 1. Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts would be open. God, would you please answer that prayer, that prayer of Paul? Open our eyes so that we can see the areas of our lives where we have been attempting to use death to try to create life. Show us how foolish, how hopeless that plan is and help us, God, instead to turn from the things of death and turn to the things of life so that we can experience the abundant life that you have in store for us. Please let it be so, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. fall down upon the ground press my face against the earth till my heart it rises over my head as the weed it bows down low when the autumn wind blows I kneel before the one I love if I need grace Find me thankful Find me on my knees Find me dreaming Find me singing Find me lost in your grace Like the dust that you first held In a garden where you fell Pull me up against your face again Till the breath of your hope Fills the depths of my soul Till all I know is I've been found by love And find me grateful Find me thankful Find me on my Find me singing, find me lost in your grace. the dust that you first held in a garden where you knelt you pull me up against your face again till the breath of your hope fills the depths of my soul till all I know is I've been found by love 
Thanks again for joining us this week. Uh, Christ Community Church is the name of the church. We'll be back again next week, 1015, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Am I forgetting anything? Larry's house. I'll be at Larry's house. (laughs) See you guys next week. Y'all have an awesome, great week. Thank y'all.